challenged or learned something or just that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And Father, we love you so much. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, well we're there in John uh, chapter number 11 and we read there uh, those verses. And like I was saying uh, just a little bit ago, uh, just to kind of refresh your memory, Jesus just healed Lazarus. If you remember, at the beginning of chapter 11, the Bible says that they sent word unto him saying that, um, that Lazarus was sick. And Jesus decided to wait a couple days before he went to see them. And when he went to see them, he'd already been dead for four days. Jesus rose him from the grave. And, and we saw that last week. Now we're seeing the after effects of that a little bit. If you look at verse 45, the Bible says, Then many of the Jews... Now take note of the fact that it says, Many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on Him. Alright? Now the Bible... Now, um, you know, this was the driving motive behind everything that Jesus did, alright? When he got the word that Lazarus was sick, and he waited, the Bible says he abode two days still, in verse number 6 there in in chapter 11, um, and he waited in order to make sure that Lazarus would die, because Jesus was motivated by this, that people would believe on him. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he immediately, and obviously Jesus was God, so he knew that Lazarus, but... You know, that he was going to die. But immediately he thought to himself, how can I make this situation a situation where people will come to me? Where people will believe. And that's why I believe he decided, the Bible says he abode uh, two days still, and he decided to wait a couple days before he even made the journey down to see Lazarus and Martha and Mary, because he wanted to make sure Lazarus died so that he could resurrect him. And, if, and, and we see that because of that, many Jews believed. And not only that, but we'll see in, in the next chapter, uh, next week, that the Bible says that many Jews were coming to see Lazarus. You know, they were coming to see Jesus, but, but many of them were just coming to see Lazarus and talk to Lazarus and talk to this man who had been dead for four days and got risen from the grave. So everything that Jesus did, He did it uh, with the idea of how can I get people to believe? How can I get people, and when we say that word believe, we're talking about them being saved because every human being is condemned to hell. And He wanted every human being to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that they could be saved and not have to go to uh, hell when they died, but be able to go to heaven. Jesus lived every moment of his life being uh, what some have called soul conscience. And what that means is that you, you understand and, and you just have it at the forefront of your mind that every human being you come across and every person you, you, uh, you work with or you uh, uh, go to school with or you meet on the street, every person you know, that person has a soul and that person is going to spend eternity somewhere. And Jesus was motivated and He lived and He literally, every step of His journey, when you read in the Gospels here in John and in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, everything that He did was done with a purpose and the purpose was He's telling he told us before that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So that was his purpose. And he had a good result here. The Bible says that many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. Look at verse 46. But some. Now it said that many of the Jews, that, that many means a lot, but it doesn't mean all of them. And in verse 46 it says, But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Now you would think, that if Jesus Christ just raised a man from the dead, I mean literally a guy who had been dead for four days, and he rose him out of the grave, and he was alive again, you would think that everybody would believe. But that's not the case. The Bible says that many believed. But some of them were still against Jesus. And they go, and, and it's funny because they just kind of go and they tattletale. 
you know, to the Pharisees. The Bible says, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Now, what you got to keep in mind in Christianity is this. You're always going to find resistance. Whenever you're doing something good and you're trying to get people saved, you're trying to get people baptized, you're trying to uh, do something for the glory of God, and, you're, and, and, and maybe you know people's lives are being restored, or marriages are being healed, or people are coming, you know, whatever. People are coming back from the dead. Whatever's happening, you're always going to find somebody who's going to resist that because in this world, we're always going to have an enemy. Now, go with me real quick. You're there in John, and keep your fingers there in John 11 because we'll be coming back to that. But go with me just real quick to the book of Matthew. Matthew, chapter number 10. Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament. And if you go to Matthew, chapter number 10, I'll show you a verse. Matthew, chapter number 10, and look at verse number 25. Matthew, chapter number 10, and look at verse number 25. The Bible says, It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? So the Bible says that that it is enough for the disciple be as his master, you know, it says that, that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. And he's saying, if they called the master, so they're saying if they call your leader Beelzebub, because that word, that Beelzebub, is literally calling him the devil. They said, what Jesus is saying here is that they called the master, which is Jesus, the devil. He said, then how much more are they going to call those who follow the master, those who follow the leader? You know, in Christianity, that's how it is. Jesus Christ, you know, when he was in this, in the, in this world, he had this ministry and he fed 5,000 and he had, you know, uh, huge crowds. But by and large, he was not very well received by this world. The Bible says that he was rejected. By, by those people, you know, by, he came into his own, his own received him not, and they uh, ended up crucifying him, and he, he wasn't exactly the most popular person on earth, okay, when he was here, the Bible says they called him Beelzebub, the Bible says that people stood against him, and then Jesus teaching us, if they call him, who's performing miracles, him, who's raising people from the grave, him, who's Jesus Christ, uh, God in the flesh, he said, then how much more are they going to call those of his household, so he's, he's trying to prepare us, he's saying, hey, if you're a Christian, just be ready for this. The world, if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you too. And here's the thing. If you look at the very front of that verse, the first three words, it says, It is enough. What he's saying is, he's saying it's enough or it's good enough you know, to be like your master. He's saying, so look, it's a good thing. If they, if, if they call Jesus Christ Beelzebub and they hated Jesus Christ, it's a good thing and they hate you too. And let me tell you something. You ought to be very careful about these, you know, I, I hear about these preachers and these pastors who have these ministries and they're just loved by the world. You know, the world just completely, you know, I think of Billy Graham, who, who literally could go to any, uh, you know, he could, go, he could go to Washington, D.C. and the president would, would go and meet him. You know, if, he, if Billy Graham decided he was going to go to the White House, the president would, you know, go shake his hand and meet him, bring him, you know, and, and, and here's the thing. You got to, you know, and say, think of any just major preacher, Joel Osteen, any, anything like that. Whenever you hear about these preachers and these pastors who say they're Christian, they say they're following Jesus Christ, but the world just loves them and the world has nothing, you know, they could just go on any uh, television show and they would be accepted and they would, you know, and people would watch it and they would just love the world. You got to be careful because the Bible says if they call Jesus Christ Beelzebub, if you think of Jesus Christ was alive today and he was preaching the way he was preaching and, and when he was alive and he was going and doing the thing, he wouldn't be accepted by the White House, 
by our government. You know, he just like he wasn't in, in his time. So, you know, that's kind of a, a test of, you know, and if, 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 you know, I hear these churches and they'll have like the mayor come in and they'll have like the governor come in and they'll have, you know, and the thing is, that you, there, there ought to be something about your Christian life that is so Christ-like that the world just kind of looks at it and says, ah, I don't really want anything to do with that. And if you're just accepted by the world and loved by the world and, and, and the world doesn't mind having you around, then look, you're, that's not... They, they called Jesus Christ Beelzebub. They called him the devil. And he said, if they call me that, he said, how much more are they going to call uh, they have the household? So that's a good uh, test there, uh, kind of of leadership in Christianity to see where, where people are at. But um, let's go back to John chapter 11 and look at verse 47. John chapter number 11 and verse 47. John eleven forty-seven. The Bible says, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said... What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. And I, I, love, I love this verse because Jesus is just going around healing people. Jesus is going around giving uh, the blind their sight back. The deaf can hear. You know, the, the lame can walk. He's healing people. He's saving people. He's performing miracles. He's preaching sermons. He's got crowds falling. The Pharisees hate him because they're taking his, their crowd away. You know, the, the world just hates him. They're calling him Beelzebub, all these things. Jesus now does probably one of the greatest miracles that, he, that, that he's done up to this point. And he resurrects a man from the dead. And the Bible says that these Pharisees and these, uh, these chief priests and the Pharisees, and um, they, they came together, and here's what they said, what do we? You know, they're just so overwhelmed by the ministry of Jesus Christ. They're just so overwhelmed by the influence of Jesus Christ. And look at verse 48, they say, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And notice what they say, say if we leave him alone, all men will believe on him. You see, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. So these people, they're so overwhelmed by the influence of the ministry of Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ Himself and by the things He's doing, that they just literally do not even know what to do. You know, and that, that should be the pattern of churches today. And obviously our church is young. You know, we just started like four or five months ago. But, you know, that's my goal for our church is that one day we'll, we will grow. And one day, you know, we'll be in our own building or whatever. And that, and that one day we'll have so many uh, Christians come to our church. and so many lives being changed here. And so many soul winners just out knocking doors that literally the people of this city and the, and, and the people in charge, I, I would hope that they would look at our church and say, man, what are we going to do about these Christians? They're just tearing this world up. They're just turning this world upside down. They just, I mean, wherever we go, they're just there and they're preaching the gospel and they're, and they're having this influence and that's the influence. That's the ministry that Jesus had. These people are just like pulling their hair out and saying, what are we going to do about this Jesus Christ? I mean, he was just a problem to them. It reminds me of another story in the book of Acts that I really, I really like this story. If you, it, look, look at it with me in Acts chapter number 5. You're there in John. Acts is the very next book. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And look at Acts chapter number 5 and look at verse 26. Acts chapter number 5 and verse 26. Acts chapter number 5 and verse 26. The Bible says, Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? So this is, just so you understand, the pretty much the same people, the Pharisees, the chief priests, all these people, are bringing uh, Peter and John to them, and they're saying, Look, didn't we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? 
referring to Jesus Christ. And they say, and this is what I love this. They say, and behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostle answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And I love that. You know, they're, they're, saying, they're saying to Peter, and they're saying uh, to John, they're saying to that uh, young church there in Jerusalem, by the way, that was a, that was a new church there too. And, and they're saying, look, didn't we command you? Didn't we tell you? that We told you not to preach this anymore. We told you not to go around. And he said, and look, you've got and you filled all Jerusalem with this doctrine. And they're mad at him. And that's the same attitude that they had with Jesus Christ. They're saying, look, what are we going to do about this Jesus? Because uh, He's a force to be reckoned with. He's, he's an influence. And that's what we should have as Christians. Uh, you know, and that should be our goal. That we would have an influence on this society. That we'd have an influence on this city and on this state. That people would literally be beating in, in rooms somewhere and just saying, what are we going to do about Verity Baptist Church? What are we going to do about those Christians? Ever since they got started, you know, they're just closing down uh, all sorts of liquor stores or whatever. You know, we ought to have that on Christianity, where people would say, man, Sacramento is just filled with their doctrine. You know, it, it reminds me of a, a story. There's a, a real famous preacher uh, named Jack Hiles. He's dead now. But he was a, a pastor of a, a large church in, in Indiana. And uh, I always think it's a funny story because they, they, they have soul winners. Just like we go soul winning every week and we knock on people's doors and invite them to church and try to preach the gospel to them. Uh, they have soul winners. And, and they were a, a real large church. I mean, they... I think they were averaging like 8,000 or something, you know, uh, uh, during their services or whatever. 8,000 people were coming to the church. It was a real large church, many, many soul winners. And they had a few soul winners who went to this group. They, they traveled like like an hour away or two hours away. Just because there's so many soul winners in the area, they'd already knocked on all the doors near the area. So they just decided, they, they picked this little town a couple hours away. They went knocking. It was just a, a couple guys, maybe four guys out there knocking on doors, inviting people to church, trying to give them the gospel. And uh, what happened was that in this little town, the men got arrested. The sheriff came out and they arrested them and they said, you know what? It is illegal for you to knock on our doors uh, here in this town. We don't appreciate that and we don't want you preaching your gospel and we don't want your Jesus and we don't want that. And they arrested those guys. They called Jack House and they were threatening him. They're saying, you bring your guys out here again. We're going to put them in prison and we're going to put them in jail. And the story goes, Jack House said to him, well, look, you better build a bigger prison because tomorrow we're bringing 3,000 soul winners out. And he literally took a bunch of buses and got 3,000 soul winners from the church and they went out to that town and they started knocking and you know, people say, oh, well, you're so mean and you're so angry. But look, that's the same attitude that Peter had. When, when Peter said, they said, we straightly commanded you. And they said, and you filled all Jerusalem. And he said, hey, look, we ought to obey God rather than men. And Jack Howells was saying, you know what? The Bible says, go ye therefore into all the world. And this is America. And we've got freedom. And we got rights. And we're going to go out. And, if we're gonna, and we can invite people to church and preach the gospel. And you know, he had that kind of honorary attitude, I guess. They were just that, but, but that's the attitude we should have. Where, we, where we're willing to go out. Because look, do you think everybody in that little town hated God? It's probably just that sheriff. You know, just like the... You know, one sheriff doesn't speak for everybody. So I'm sure there's people in that town who'd love to come to church and love to hear about Jesus Christ and all that. Um, so, you know, we shouldn't allow ourselves to get intimidated, but, but we ought to have this attitude where we're just always, you know, where we're just always pushing forward. I always tell people, when you allow the world to, to, to be on the offensive and we're just always on this defense, always trying to defend what we do and why we do it. And Well, why do you go to church on a Wednesday night? And why do you sing those old hymns? And why do you have that King James Bible? And why, you know, and we're always just trying to defend ourselves. And try, you know what? We ought to be on the offensive and we ought to go to them and say, well, you're the one with the issues. You know, you're the crazy one. You're the one who's committing suicide and drinking your, you know, problems away. And, and we ought to be on the offensive. 
offensive as Christians and like Jesus Christ, we had to put the world to run where they would say, man, what are we going to do about these Christians? And that's what they were saying about Peter and John and that's what they were saying about Jesus Christ. Um, but you know, obviously, just like Jesus, many people are going to believe, just like our ministry, many people get saved when we go out soul winning, but there's, I'm sure there's many people who just don't like it and don't want anything to do with it. And just like Jesus Christ, it's the same thing. So anyway, let's look at verse 49. John 11, 49. The Bible says, And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest of the same year, said unto them, and look what he says, Ye know nothing at all. So he's talking to these Pharisees. He's talking to these, uh, to these chief priests. Now you got to keep in mind, Caiaphas is the high priest but he is not a saved man. I mean, if you study him out in the Bible, he is not saved. He appears again in the book of Acts, and he's like persecuting uh, the Christians, and he, he does not believe, he is not a believer in Jesus Christ. He had a big part, he played a big part in getting Jesus Christ crucified, okay, but he has this position of being the high priest. And the Bible says that when he was a high priest the same year, he said unto them, look, it's funny man, to me what he says to his friends there, he says, you know nothing at all. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. And in verse 50 he says, Nor consider that it is expedient for us. That word expedient means that it is the most uh, efficient thing or most convenient thing or the best thing for us. He said, you don't understand, it is expedient for us. It is the best thing for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. If you look at verse 51, it says, And this spake he not of himself. But being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. Okay, so you got to understand, this is an unsaved man. Alright? And the Bible, when it says that, this spake he not of himself, that, that word of there is talking about the source. It's saying that he didn't come up with this. He prophesied, alright? Now we know from the Bible that when somebody prophesies, the Spirit of God comes upon them, and they're speaking the words of God. So this man, Caiaphas, who's a bad man, who actually had an influential part in getting Jesus crucified, and later he has an influential part in, uh, in, in persecuting the young church there in Jerusalem. He, uh, as far as the Bible teaches, he, we do not have a record of his conversion, and definitely at this point he was not saved. And the Bible says that he prophesied, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he prophesied, because that's the only way you can prophesy, if the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, and he actually said a right thing. He said, look, it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and, um, and, the, and the whole nation perish not. And, this, and the Bible makes it clear, this spake he not of himself. Now, I don't have the time to, uh, to, to uh, uh, develop this, this thought. We're going to get into it a little more in detail as the weeks go by. But um, just to kind of explain to you, how is it that this unsafe person is prophesying? Well, the Bible has... The Bible talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. Now, in the New Testament, when Jesus Christ died, and we'll see it here in a few weeks, He gives the Holy Spirit to Christians. You are, when you are a Christian, you are indwelled by the Spirit. The Bible says you are sealed by the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. All right? But in the Old Testament, they didn't have that indwelling uh, Spirit all right, that lived with you. Okay, The Holy Spirit, if you're saved, is actually inside of you. And He sealed you unto the day uh, of redemption when we go to heaven. You know, he, He's with us. He's, he's our, the earnest of our salvation. So He's actually inside of you. But there's two different 
things uh, to, to the thing of the Holy Spirit. There's what is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus Christ gave when He died on the cross, and He, and he, and he, and he uh, paid for our sins. He then did not leave us alone, but He sent the Comforter, and He gave us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. But then there's separate from that, the Holy Spirit has a different job, which is what the Bible refers to a lot as coming upon Somebody, alright? In the Old Testament, you'll read many times that the Spirit of the Lord came upon upon Saul. Or the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. Or the Spirit of the Lord, it'll come upon somebody in order to do a great work. Now, the, the indwelling of the Spirit and the coming upon of the Spirit are two different things. And I, I don't really have the time to show it to you. We'll preach an entire sermon on it uh, in weeks to come, I promise you, and you'll understand it. But I want you to understand this. When the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody... That's not a, 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 an eternal thing or even a salvation thing, okay? That's just the power of God. The Holy Spirit comes upon, it came upon Saul, and then it left Saul. The Holy Spirit came upon Samson, and then it left Samson. That's different than salvation. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit will not leave us. The Bible says that He will not, that, that God, uh, he, he will not leave us nor forsake us. The Holy Spirit is with you. He will never leave you. But the power of God can leave you. Does that make sense? And even, you know, and most Baptists don't, don't believe this, and that's fine. But um, even in the New Testament, the Spirit of God can come upon people and leave people. Now, I'm not saying that the, the Holy Spirit will leave them as far as salvation, but I'm talking about the power of God, okay? Now, a lot of people think in the book of Acts, when the, that the day of Pentecost, that that's when the Holy Spirit was given. Again, that's not true, because Jesus said to, the, to His disciples, He said, receive ye the Holy, the Holy uh, Ghost. Uh, when He appeared to them. So when He said that, that's when He gave them the Spirit. And we'll see that in John in a few weeks. Don't worry about that. But um, the Spirit of God... Can, so, so what I'm trying to say is this. You can have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. That's talking about salvation. But the Spirit of God can come upon somebody to prophesy, to get somebody saved, to preach a sermon, to do a great work. And then because of sin or whatever, He can come off of people too. Just like He came on Samson, and then He came off of Samson. He came on Saul, and then He came off on Saul. And so it has nothing to do with salvation. Just like, uh, think about John the Baptist. The Bible says that he, was, that he had the Spirit when he was just a baby. You know, so was he, was he necessarily saved? Well, a baby's not condemned. So he wasn't saved. But, you know, he had the power of the Spirit. So that's what's happening with this unsaved man. Um, is that the Spirit of God just came out. And you say, well, is he saved? He, he's not saved. It's just the Holy Spirit comes upon him to do a simple thing. He's going to prophesy about Jesus Christ. My Bible makes it very clear about that. But it's very clear from the Scriptures. If you study the life of this man, he's not saved. He never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, he rejected Jesus Christ the entire time. With that said, alright, the only reason this unsaved man gets this insight is because the Holy Spirit told him about it. Because the Bible says that he did not, you know, this spake he not of himself. So he didn't come up with this on his own. God gave him this, you know, revelation that Jesus Christ should die for all the nation. That, that one person should die for all the people. With that said, the only way that this unsaved man knew that is it because God told him. Okay, what that tells us is this, that the average unsaved person does not realize this, okay? The, the average unsaved person does not know what is the most expedient thing for them. I mean, if you look at the, if you, if you continue uh, reading there, in, in verse uh, 53, you know, he prophesies and he tells them this thing, and then they say, this is their response. You know, he says to them, because think about this. Okay, he's saying, um, verse, 50, you know, 50. 
Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this making not of himself, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together uh, into one the children of God, which were scattered abroad. So he prophesied that Jesus should die. And here's how the Pharisees take it. Because you, uh, you think they were saying, Wow, Jesus is going to die for us? Wow, Jesus, one man's going to pay the price for the whole nation? You think they would be like, that's a great thing. But here's how they take it. Verse 53, Then from that day on they, forsook, uh, they took counsel together to put him to death. So when he prophesies that Jesus should die, they don't take that as like good news or the gospel. They take that as their marching orders. Okay, then we need to put him to death. And what I'm trying to say to you is this. The world doesn't know what they need, okay? The world does not know that they need Jesus Christ. The world thinks they need healthcare reform. The world thinks they need, you know, welfare reform. The world thinks they need a better government. The world thinks they need a better job. The world thinks they need all sorts of things. They, they think they need, you know, Dr. Phil and Oprah to help them with their problems. And they just literally have no idea what they need. But according to the Bible, according to God, what this world needs is Jesus Christ. And when this unsaved man who hated Jesus Christ, who would not believe in Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit came upon him and he prophesied he said hey it is expedient for us that this man should die and that's what this world needs you know I'm all for paying less taxes and having better politicians and having a better government and and more ethics and whatever I'm all for that but let me tell you something that is not what's going to save America what's going to help America and what's going to help people is Jesus Christ period Jesus Christ is the only person that can heal, uh, you know, a person. Jesus Christ is the only person that can restore uh, marriage. Jesus Christ is the only person that can help people with their issues and with their problems. The Bible, Jesus Christ said, Come unto me, all ye that labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Bible says that we should lay all our burdens on Him. Saying, take all, he says to take, all, uh, to take His yoke for, for His... Uh, I'm misquoting it, I can't think of the verse right now, but He says that it's, it's easy. His burden is easy. And Jesus Christ can, can help us, and this is what this world needs. And this is why, even though there will always be those who hate us, and there will always be those who stand against us, and there will always be those who, who, who want to fight us, this is why we ought to take the Bible and ought to take Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world, because there are people out there who will believe, there are people out there who do uh, are searching for the truth, and do need the truth, and we ought to bring Jesus to those people, because the only person that can help those people is Jesus Christ. The only person that can save their soul is Jesus Christ. So the Bible says that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people. Now, just real quickly, go with me to the book of Romans. We're almost done, I promise. Uh, but go with me to the book of Romans and go to chapter number 5. I just want to show you something. I always thought about this when I was a kid. And I think about the gospel and I think about Christianity and stuff. And I always thought to myself, how could it be? And maybe you never thought about this. It's just in the chapter, so I want to kind of explain to you. But I always thought, to, uh, because you know, the Bible says that Jesus took our place on the cross. Now this is what I always thought. When I was a kid and I would kind of think about these things in my head, I would think, okay, if Jesus took somebody's place on the cross then wouldn't that just be enough for the first person who got saved? Now, I don't know if you never, never thought about this, and this isn't an issue with you, you know, just ignore me right now. But this, is something, this wasn't an issue like I was struggling with it, but just something that I was always curious about. I thought to myself, the very first person who ever got saved, you know, then he took their place on the cross, right? But then, how, how is it that one person can save all of us? Does that make sense? If Jesus took my place on the cross, this is what I would struggle with, or not struggle, but just think about it. If he took my place on the cross, then how can he take your place on the cross, you know? 
But Romans chapter number 5 explains that because this is what uh, this man said. He said, look, it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. So, what is he talking about? If you look at Romans chapter number 5 and look at verse 12, the Bible explains it in detail in Romans 5.12. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. He's referring to Adam, alright? He said, As by one man sin, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So he's saying, sin entered the world through Adam. Death passed upon all of us because of sin. And then he says, look, for all have sinned. For unto the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. It refers to Moses there, because Moses is the one who is always referred to as bringing us the law, because God spoke to him uh, the first five books of the Bible, and the Ten Commandments there, and all of that. So, it says... um, I can't even find what verse I was in now. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Alright? So the Bible says that Adam was the figure of him that was to come. So he was like a, a, uh, an example of someone who was to come. Look at verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one... Many be dead. So he's saying, because Adam sinned, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, um, have abounded unto many. Look at verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, uh, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, uh, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And uh, verse 21 of that chapter says, the last chapter says, that uh, last verse says, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So the way this works is, is this way. Adam sinned. Now, if you remember from the story of Adam and Eve, who sinned first? Adam or Eve? Eve sinned. Alright? Eve, uh, you know, ate of the tree, and she gave it to Adam. But the Bible records as Adam being the reason that all sinned, because, and, and I believe, and this is what I believe, and you may disagree with me, but I believe that if, when Eve sinned, if Adam would have not allowed himself to be influenced by, a wife, by his wife, and not taken of that fruit and not sinned himself, that the world would have been fine. You know, Eve would have been the only one who sinned. But when Adam sinned, the Bible says that he his his blood, because the Bible says that life is in the blood. And that's talking about physical life, but it's also talking about spiritual life, because we're given life through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So when Adam sinned, his blood became sinful sin. Now, obviously, without going into too much detail, we understand that a woman will have an egg go through the cycle of, you know, to, to be fertilized, and never become a human being, just be discarded, every month, until the blood of a man 
uh, impacts that egg, and it becomes conception, and it becomes a human life. So what that tells us is this, that all of us get our blood, our life, from our father's line, alright? So... Adam, all of us have the blood of Adam. That's why we're all sinners. So that's why it says, Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all of sin. Because the egg, the, what the female provides, has no blood, right? It has no life until the male blood, Adam's blood, brings that life. So we are all made sinners because of Adam. Because Adam took of the fruit or whatever, you know, and sinned, uh, disobeyed God there. And because of Adam, because of one man, we're all condemned. So then all that Jesus Christ does is that He takes the place of Adam. The Bible says in Corinthians, I won't have you turn there because it will take too long, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, the Bible calls Jesus the last Adam. And it goes into detail about how Jesus just takes the place of Adam. So we're no longer considered the children of Adam through His blood, but through the blood of Jesus Christ that He shed on the, blood, on the cross, we, we are born again, we are made the sons of God and uh, Jesus Christ there, and we become His bloodline. So, anyway, that's how that works. You say, well, how, how does one person take the place of everybody? Well, He just takes the place of Adam, and He takes care of everybody else. And then that way He can make uh, salvation available to everybody, to whoever uh, will believe. So, anybody can be saved, because He just took the place of Adam. And that's why it says that Adam was the, the figure of things to come, um, which was Jesus Christ, and Jesus was the last Adam. But not only that, let me... Uh, just show you a few things in these verses will be done. Uh, but look at verse 48. No, 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 not 48. Look at verse 52. I, I'm not going to preach this, you know, this entire sermon. I just want to show it to you just to make a point. But John 11, 52. A couple of weeks ago we preached a sermon on the Jews being God's chosen people. And we talked about where the Gentiles fit in and all that. And if you look at John 11, 52, it says that, um, well, he prophesied that he would die for, that Jesus should die for that nation. But verse 52, it says, and not for that nation only. So not just for the nation of Israel. He says, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that are scattered abroad. So he's saying, you know, he died not just for the Jews, but he also died for the Gentiles. For the children of God that are scattered abroad all over the world. And that's uh, why Jesus Jesus died. I just wanted to show you that just so you can see another place in the Bible where it talks about the Jews uh, not only being God's children or God's chosen generation, whatever, but it's also He brought in the Gentiles with that also. Um, look at verse 53. John eleven fifty-three. 53. It's the last verse we'll look at. Bible says, then from that day forth, they took counsel together to put him to death. And I just want to just make the point again. Do you see how confused these people are? See how, I mean, they just saw Jesus Christ raise a man from the dead. They've heard Jesus Christ preach. Many Jews have believed on him. Now their own leader of their religious entity has just prophesied to them the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus should die for this nation. And then they just are still just not understanding what the purpose of all this is. And I, and I, just, I just want to give you this challenge. This world does not know what they need. They are confused. They are disoriented. They do not know what's good for them. And the, saddest, the sad thing is that many of them will die and go to hell because they reject Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you something. There are people out there waiting to hear the truth. They, they are. And, and here's the sad thing. is 
that there's going to be many people who are going to die and go to hell who would have believed if they only would have been told. Who would have came if they, to Jesus Christ if they only would have had somebody share it to them. And that's our job. That's our purpose. That's why, you know, he said it is expedient for us. That's what, what, what the high priest, he said it, is, he said it is the best thing for us. It is the best thing for us in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. Just like that man said it that day, being, uh, you know, the, the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon him, and then prophesying, the same thing as today. It is the most expedient thing for people in 2011 to know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it is our job to tell. And we must go out and we must preach the gospel. And look, we, and that's how you say, well, how are we going to have this influence where, where, where people are looking at us and saying, man, what are we going to do about these people? They're, they're just too much. They're just too much doctrine and too much preaching. And too, how are we going to do that? Go get people. We'll go get people, reach people, bring them, teach them, get them saved, and then send them out too. And we'll have an influence. You know, I would love to have an influence on Sacramento. Like the church in Jerusalem had uh, there where people say, Man, we commanded you, we told you, stop preaching, stop telling us about Jesus, we don't want to hear it. And then they, they say, and look, you filled the whole city, all of Jerusalem is filled with this doctrine. And that's, that should be our goal. Our goal should be for somebody to say about you, and somebody to say about us, to just say, what are we going to do about Jesus? And if you notice what they said, they say, if we don't do anything about it, all men will believe on Him. saying, if we don't do something about it, all men, He is going to go get every person saved. And that's another challenge. What is that? That should be our lives. People, we should have a type of testimony where people will just say, look, if we don't do something about so-and-so, they are going, you know, your family... They, this, is, this is what your family should be. You know, when Christmas comes along and they invite you, this is what they should be thinking. So there should be family members in a room somewhere thinking to themselves, you know, so and so's coming, and if we don't do something about her, or we don't do something about him, they are going to go and get everybody in our family saved. So we got to just like keep, you know, they should be planning against you. Because Jesus had this type of life where they just, they just don't. If, if, if we don't stop him, he's going to get people saved. If we don't stop him, he's going to be preaching. If we don't stop him, he's gonna, is that your type of life? Where people just know, they will be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They will be out sowing. They will be reading their Bible. They will be praying. That's just the type of life they have. They will be pressing forward, doing things. They're going to be living the type of life where people are going to say, we never saw it on this fashion. They will be doing something for Jesus Christ. They ought to know that. But see, the sad thing is that our lives are so inconsistent. People say, I don't know. Sometimes they're into that God stuff and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're inviting everybody to church and trying to get everybody saved. Sometimes they're not. That's not the way Jesus lived. They knew. They said, if we don't put a stop to him, he is going to get everybody saved. And that's how we should be. People should be able to look at our lives and say, man, I, I know. You know, people, and, and you know, we say this joke around, but, but people ought to know, you know, if people are, 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 are checking out your house to break into it, they ought to know we can break into their house on Wednesday night because on Wednesday, every Wednesday night they're at church. That's how it should be. That's the type of thing. I remember, you know, uh, my sister can attest to this, but I remember when we were when we were young, we had uh, people break into our house, and they broke into our house when on Sunday morning. Why? Because that's when we were gone. Sunday morning, we're in church. Sunday night, we're in church. You know, people ought, they they just ought to know. You know, they just ought to be able to. They always, you know, Sunday morning they're not there. Sunday night they're not there. Saturday morning they're not there. They they just ought to know your life, and you ought to have that type of testimony where people just say, if we don't put a stop to them. This is what they're going to do. And, and that's the type of life that Jesus had. And that's the type of testimony we had. And let me, let me end with this and make this, this is a good quote. I heard, I heard this quote and I, I liked it. It might be in our bulletin next week. But it says, you're only as strong as what stops you. You're only as strong as what stops you. 
So if, you, if you're just pressing for Jesus, and you're just doing the right things, you're just going to church, you're selling out, you're getting right with God, you're doing all those things, and then anything, you know, a death in the family, the car breaks down, you know, you lose your job, and then something stops you, that's, that's where you met your strength. You're only as strong as whatever it takes to stop you. And let me tell you something. G, you know, the devil is not an idiot, okay? He will find out what it takes to stop you, and he will just bring that down your aisle. You know, you, know, you wonder why people... You know, and here, I'll give you an example. You know, we've obviously been in this ministry thing for a while, you know, not as, as a pastor my whole life, but just inviting people to church, bringing people, working in these ministries, trying to give And you know, I'll tell you the honest truth, there are people who want to come to church, who honestly, they want to come to church, and they just miss church, and they miss church, and they miss, and they're not doing it on purpose, but here's why. They always have a, a, a legit reason. Every Sunday morning, there just happens to be just something going on that's, that stopped them from coming. And they're not lying. They're not like calling you and making them, they really have something going on. And here's why. Because when somebody decides, you know what, I'm going to be on church on Sunday morning, here's what the devil's going to do. He's going to try to stop you. He's going to give you a flat tire. And then if you say, oh, I can't go to church, then he knows, okay, that's all I got to do. Just give him a flat tire every morning, every Sunday. Just have their window broken in. You know, have something else. But, but you know what happened? You know, this is what, you know, I, my, my wife and I, even before we started this church, we never missed church. We're in church every service. We didn't have all these, you know why? Because when we decided we're going to be in church every morning, Satan, I'm, he tried one time, and we, and you know, the tire was flat, and when we said, I don't care, we're going to church, we'll call whoever we got to call, we'll get a taxi, we're going to be in church, you know, the next day, there was a, the window was broken, he said, I don't care, the window's broken, we'll fix it, we're going to church, and you know what, eventually, Satan, or the devil, or the enemy figured out, this is what they figured out, don't even bother with them, they're just going to be in church, but as soon as they find out what it takes to stop you, then they're just, they're just going to play that card every time. So you're giving yourself away. You know, and then you say, well, why does so-and-so keep showing up? The same person, they keep showing up on that same day. Well, here's why, because Satan knows. That's what it takes to stop you. You're only as strong as what it takes to stop you. So you better figure out where your weakness is and get better at it. Because as soon as Satan figures out, man, there's not, you know, I'm, I'm going to go play somewhere else. I'm going to go mess with somebody else because I'm not going to be able to stop that person. And then you're going to have a victorious Christian life. So that's the type of life we ought to have. But uh, let's bow our heads and walk over to prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. And Father, thank you so much for our church. I pray that you'd help all of us uh, to just be more consistent and to do right. And Lord, thank you for John.